At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Well, our series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavished, that idea of Christmas longings, it's pretty it's pretty right on. Um, and I remember younger, of course, it was the longing for the Christmas presents, right? Wondering what it's going to be this year. Uh, Mom, Santa, whatever, whatever. I don't know who it ever came from, but I just wondered what was it going to be this year. But then, you know, once I got to be 45 or so, then I began to, to think, well, maybe it's more about the presents that I'm going to receive. And I began to long for time with family kids around, going to, to my parents, or whether it's the kids now coming to, to our house. We, we just had our Christmas celebration as a family uh, this, past, this weekend, so Friday night and Saturday morning, and man, we looked forward to that. You know, for weeks, we were anticipating all the kids coming around and you know, making sure we were ready for both the feasting as well as the gifting. Um, you long for it. Maybe that's why Christmas is so hard for so many people this year, because what they long for is to gather, and the reality is there's not as much gathering that will take place this year because of safeguards and effect and things. Um, but Christmas longing is probably appropriate when you think of his coming to earth, when you think of the, the reason for this season. The earth was longing for his coming. God's plan of redemption and his plan of uh, the journey to, uh, to earth took a long time to come about. When you think of uh, after he cast them out of the Garden of Eden um, and, and, and because of their sin, but then he told them, they're going to solve this. There will, be, there will be a descendant of mankind that will, that will crush Satan's head, right? And, and so there was this plan that would, that would fix all this. But then hundreds of years went by. Thousands of years went by. And the plan just slowly began to, to unfold, and in our series, we're looking at that unfolding as expressed through covenants. Covenants were chosen relationships that were established by God, all based around his promise. There was a covenant to Noah uh, after they came out of the, the ark, after he saved them from the worldwide cleansing. And he promised them that he would withhold that type of destruction from then on, until his plan of redemption was fulfilled. And then hundreds, thousands of years went by, and God, God stepped into the life of, of Abraham as hundreds of years after Noah. God spoke to Abraham and said, Now, I'm going to make for you, from you a new nation. Through your family, all the nations of the world be blessed. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll give you a land. He made a covenant with Abram. And the 
then, then it moved on, thousands of years went by before Moses. And then God made a covenant with Moses as he delivered the people from Egyptian slavery. And he said, now, I'm going to form a new covenant with you. This covenant will, will affirm my rescuing you from Egypt, from slavery. You'll be my treasured possession. You will be my priests to the world. And I'll give you my law so you can follow me because I will be with you. Hundreds of years go by and God unwraps another fold in his plan as he makes a promise with David. How many have ever heard anything of the life of David from the Bible? Can I see your hand? Do you know anything about David? Okay, many of you. David, maybe you heard about David and Goliath. This is that guy, right? David, who slayed the giant, would become a king. And God stepped into that relationship. He formed a promise with David, chose him to a very special relationship, and gave him what we call the covenant to David, or the Davidic covenant. Can you say Davidic? Say it with me. Davidic. All right, you sound like a scholar, a Bible scholar. It's wonderful. When someone asks you today, so what happened to church? We talked about the Davidic covenant, and people be so impressed with that. It's going to be great. <laughs> the Davidic covenant can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This covenant with David... God specifies that a human king would come through David's lineage and this king would rule forever. That's the essence of the Davidic covenant. As we look at this, we're going to see a beautiful truth. The truth that we'll see in this establishing of this chosen relationship is that you cannot serve God better then God serves you. You cannot serve God better than how God serves you. So in 2 Samuel verse 1, uh, we, we encountered David. He had already killed Goliath. Um, the King Saul had already chased him around because he got jealous. King Saul perished in battle. David was anointed king. David... Um, has a few years of ruling as king. He had experienced great successes as king. The nation had rallied around him as their leader. Now, it didn't happen right away. Um, they also had a dominion, electoral uh, equipment. So, so there was some people in the nation of Israel that didn't want David as their king. <laughs> right? So they said, no, you're not our king. We'll have our own king. And so there was a period of time where the nation was a little bit divided, but then things worked out where eventually the entire nation saw David as God's anointed leader. I'm not making any political statement there. I'm just trying to be funny. All right. Everybody give me a chuckle. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. David had military successes. Um, everything that he seemed to put his hand to as far as uh, protecting his people and occupying the land that God had given to them succeeded. And so there was great success to the point where they looked around and realized, oh, there's no more problems 
in that sense. The Philistines aren't raiding. The Amorites have quieted and they've stopped attacking our people. We have a time of rest. David had, uh, had a passion for a spiritual element in his nation. The Ark of the Covenant had been moved in the previous reign of King Saul. And so David brought that back to the center of the nation and he placed it in Jerusalem because he knew that this was where God wanted to be as the center of the earth, in a sense. So the Ark of the Covenant was there to express God's presence with his nation. So that was a priority. That had been done. And now in verse 1, it says David had rest. In fact, it says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, and we think, oh yeah, that's what I want. Some people are looking at 2021 for that. Where they, I've, I love some of the memes that are out there about 2020, right? And, and, and how difficult a year this has been. And, and we look forward to the day where, where there's all these things are done and we feel like it's kind of irrational. But we think flipping a page in the calendar, suddenly those things are in the past. But we long for that. We long for when there's not these health crises and there's not the funerals and the mechanical breakdowns and there's no remote learning. We're in person again and we can gather and we can eat at a restaurant and, and, and our, my sickness is over and I'm healed and we want that rest. And David, in a sense, had been brought to that point as king of the land of, nation, of, of Israel. There's three things that we see that lead us to this big idea that you can't serve God better than God serves you. And here's, I want, first of all, I want you to see in these first seven verses that God doesn't need our work for his glory. God does not need our work for his glory. Let's read 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. But Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet and said, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Interesting conversation. So here's David. A time of rest settles in. He finally has a chance to sit down in his chair and think. There was peace. There was a sense of success. He came up with this idea. He looked around. He saw this palace that he had erected for himself, lined with cedar. And he realized God, expressed in the Ark of the Covenant, was still living in a tent. It didn't seem right. It would sure be better for God to have a better house than the king, right? That seems to make sense. So he finds the prophet and tells Nathan this wonderful plan that he has. And Nathan thinks, that sounds like a great idea. Let's go for it. Kind of like when I was recently married. I don't know, Nancy was a couple, maybe one or two years into the marriage where uh, her birthday was coming up. And I heard her make a comment. 
you know, we should get a little fire safe so we can put our wedding pictures in, our negatives. That's what you used to do. Pictures, you have negatives, they're kind of weird little things. But anyway, you, you save those so you can have them forever and you, all those official documents. We should get one of those. I thought, yep, we should. I thought, finally, now I know what to get her for her birthday. <laughs> and I was so happy when I got her that, that fire safe. It just didn't exude the uh, response that I thought it, it would. That's, maybe that's David's thought with as he, he comes up with this great idea. I've got this great plan. I live in a palace lined with paneling, and God lives in a tent. We're going to make him a nice house. And the response that God has to him was not, oh, that's so great. Thanks for thinking of me. Instead, God answers David with a rhetorical question. Really, you want to build me a house? Really? You think I need that? Where I've chosen to live with my people. I've chosen, which is a beautiful, incredible, mind-blowing thought, that God chose a nation where he would be with them and empower them to do incredible things. He would take care of them and provide for them. In fact, God designed through the law of Moses that the Ark of the Covenant would be placed and then as the, land, as the nation settles in, the 12 tribes, would like, like spokes of a wheel, would, would encamp in a way so that they were all close to the tabernacle because God wanted to be with the people. God would even give a priestly system because they, he knew they were sinful. They needed intercessors. So God made priests, Levites, that would be those go-betweens so they could safely approach God through an anointed intercessor. God's desire to be with people was incredible. But like David, we can devise plans and projects based on our own instincts and intuitions. We can impress ourselves and even one another with some great ideas we have for serving God but we need to remember that God doesn't need our projects. He doesn't need our plans to bring him any more glory than what he already receives. Now that's humbling. And sometimes that's concerning. You're saying that God doesn't need me? You're saying that this thing that I thought of that seems so good, God doesn't need that, so why should I do it? The Apostle Paul came to this conclusion. Uh, the prophets uh, wrote about it, and Paul quotes it to the Romans in Romans chapter 11 when he says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. His judgments are unsearchable, and his, his ways inscrutable. For who has known the mind of the, mind of the Lord? Who has ever been his counselor? Who has ever given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For it is from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Do you realize that God has never needed a good idea? He's never needed your creative juices flowing. He's never needed you to come up with some gift of generosity that would solve a problem that God was facing. God never had a time when he wanted you just think of something fresh and new that nobody's ever thought of. Come on, just think of it. Come on, I need you, man. Don't let me down. God's never had that time. 
In fact, what God desires is not your creativity and your wonderful dreams. God wants you to put your faith in him. That's what he says will give him glory. In fact, one commentator put it like this. What we do to honor God must arise from faith in and obedience to his word. We as humans can think so much of ourselves that we can tend to neglect what God said in his word and become so consumed with coming up with great ideas and doing wonderful things for him that we end up neglecting what he's already said. So he has said, no, I want you to put your faith in me and in my word. Put your faith there. And as you become consumed with, with, with me and with living out what I've called you to do, you will find my dreams coming to you, my plans coming to you. But your responsibility is not the plans. Your responsibility is not the dreams. That's his job. Your job is put your faith in what he has said. Follow him. Do that. And wonderful things will happen. God doesn't need your plans. He doesn't need your dreams. We can't serve God better than God serves us. Now hang with me. Some of you are struggling with this. So let's keep going. Verse 8. Verse 8, we see that God works to bring us rest. God works. Verse 8 says, Now therefore, David... Or Nathan, God speaking to Nathan. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from that time I appointed judges over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Now notice what God does here in these words. First, he reminds David of his past. He says, tell David this, I moved you from following sheep to being a prince over my people. From following sheep. You can't get lower than following sheep. And it wasn't Dave's, David's great intuition or, or creativity or anything that moved him from that role. It was God. God said, I'm taking you from, from the pasture and putting you in a palace. I am taking you from being a shepherd to a sovereign king. That's my that, that's what I did. David, this wasn't you. This wasn't you coming up with this plan and going to the prophet and saying, Samuel, I'm thinking, you could anoint me king and we can do some cool things and then all the little kids in the world will have this great story. Little kids can do big things too, you know. That was, that's not what happened. That's not the story. No, God stepped in and moved David from this lowly place to this high place. So he looks to his past. And then he says, I want, but I also want you to know the future. This is kind of the ghost of Christmas past. Here's the ghost of Christmas future. Where God says to David, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your name great. 
I mean, memorable from everybody. I asked you, how many know the name of David? Anything from David? And just about everybody raised their hand. We live in different continent. That, that happened in Asia. How many years ago and generations and millennia ago? But you knew about David. God made his name great. God did that. Not because of David. God's doing this. David is still needy. But God's going to do something here. And then he says, I will give you rest. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you rest. Now, now the passage starts and says, now David had rest from all his enemies. Okay, so David had rest from this one little area. God says, I'm just going to make that an, a condition of your life. Rest. Now, when God speaks of rest... Don't think of a pillow in a mattress. When the Bible speaks of rest, don't think of a nap or sleeping. Don't think of in eternity, floating on a cloud, playing a harp, or a soul sleep. That's not God's plan for you. When God spoke to people and spoke to David and said, I'm going to give you rest, he's not saying to David, eventually you can get your nap, but hang in there, buddy. He's not saying that. Just like when he said, I don't need your plans, I don't need your dreams, he's not saying there won't be plans and there won't be dreams. He's not saying, so don't do anything, just... Just sit there and be a nice guy or girl. That's not what God is saying. In fact, look at, the, look at the saga of Scripture. And I think of some of the people that came after David. I think of King Hezekiah. There weren't a lot of good kings after David. Most of them were just disregarded the things of God. But King Hezekiah did. He committed himself to following God. And God used him for such an incredible Exploits. In fact, the aqueduct system was designed by King Hezekiah. Archaeologists are still discovering this very intricate aqueduct system that Hezekiah came up with both to provide for his people and defend them from, from the enemies. Just incredible things. I think of Nehemiah, a wonderful leader that God used to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But neither one of those guys sat there and said, I got to do something for God. What should I do? Here's what we'll do. No, no. They committed themselves to following God's law. And in that condition, God steps in and he provides them with these dreams. And they can step into those plans. But they step into those plans as rest. Because it wasn't their responsibility. It was God's. If it didn't work out the way they had hoped, well, that's, that's God's thing. I'm just doing what God's called me to do. Think of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11 when he says to a crowd that had been following him, and he said to them, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and I'll give you rest. 
lot of times we can think of Jesus' words and saying, you know what, we're all tired. Come to me. We just need a nap. But that's not what he was saying because he says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, what's a yoke used for? Farmers in the room. For oxen to take a nap, right? No. To work the field. But the yoke is used to link with others so that it was the strength of others that you can, that you can pull with. Whereas Jesus calls us to take his yoke, he's saying, so stop dreaming and stop trying to come up with things that, that you think I need you to do. That's not my plan. That's never been my plan. Some of you are trying to obey the law. In fact, you come up with 326 additional laws so that you can make sure and obey the laws that, that your heavenly father gave you. And that's just, that's trying, to, that's working. That's not what I've called you to do. I've called you to rest. So come to me, put your faith in me. And then I'll pull and you can be with me. Have you noticed, parents, how sometimes we can be so burdened that our kids are not turning out right? And we, can, and we know that God's called us to parent, but it's become such a burden. Maybe it's because we're, we haven't fully comprehended what he means when come to me and I will give you rest. I know as a church leader, sometimes I can feel that. I can get into that place where I become so burdened. Maybe the results aren't coming out right, or I feel responsibility even teaching. I become very burdened. And when that happens, I can know that I have not yet fully comprehended the gospel or his truth that says, no, it's not your responsibility, it's mine. You just put your faith in me. Trust me. And then you can rest as we move. And I'll give you my dreams. And I'll give you my plans. But it comes out of putting your faith in me. Now, part of David's co the covenant with David is that God would give him, God would give him the, um, a lineage of kings. He says, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. God says, so that plan you have, it's not that it's, it's a wrong plan, but the thing is, that's not my plan for you. I will raise up offspring after you and he will build this house for me. Now this is new because remember, David was not of the lineage of Saul, right? King Saul was the first king. God brought David to be the next king. So God steps into this where this kingly transition, okay, if David dies, then we got to go around and look for another king. And God says, nope, that's not my plan. Here's my plan, that I will now work because I'm going to honor David. I'm going to give him a great name and I will bring kings after him. So now the kingly line comes from the line of David and the line of Judah, not not. You're Judith, Kate. This is, this is the son of, of, um, of Israel. So I'm going to come from the line of Judah, who comes to David, and now the kings will come after him. But more than that, thirdly, 
we see that God provided a forever king to serve us. Back to verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Catch that. The Lord will make you a house. David, you came to me with this great plan. God, I'm going to make you a house. God says, really? You're going to make me a house? Uh Uh-uh. I'm making you a house. You're talking cedar and stones and wood. I'm not talking about that kind of house. I'm talking a house that will be people. I'm talking a kingdom. That's the house I'm talking about. I'm going to make you a house. When you die, when your day is fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up offspring after you, come after you from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He'll build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits adult iniquity, I will in discipline him with a rod of men, with stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So in this promise is the clarity that David's son would build a house for God, where God would build a house, not just a palace, but an eternal house, a royal dynasty. Thirdly, that the kings after David, God would be to them like a father. What's a father do? A father trains his kids, and when they get out of line, a father brings them back, right? And when they do well, uh, the father provides for them, and they function as a healthy household. But beyond that, God points through Nathan, God points to a forever king. In fact, the prophets would one day describe this, this, this forever king in Isaiah chapter 9. Um, the prophet, and you're familiar with this verse and this prophecy. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So then comes the new covenant the New Testament that describes the birth of Jesus, right? You know, and we're familiar with the story. We'll be stepping into that story all this week. How Jesus was born, Jesus, the son of Joseph, who was a descendant of David. That's why he went to Bethlehem. David was a descendant of Abraham. So here we have the Abraham covenant. Now we have the Davidic covenant. And then we have the new covenant to Jesus. And Jesus would be called the king of the Jews. Remember the wise men came to Jerusalem and asked King Herod, hey, where's, where's this king of the Jews that we've, we've seen a star in the east? We've come to worship him. King of the Jews. A better name for Jesus would be the king of kings. But he would be the king of the Jews being the fulfillment of this covenant with David. And God, through Jesus, would build a house, a forever house. This would be a house not made of paneling, but of living stones. People from every tribe and tongue and nation that would put their trust and faith in Jesus. And so the temple that Solomon built would just be a shadow of this eternal house, this eternal temple of you and me and all those that would put their faith in him. That's the house that Jesus is is building as a fulfillment of this covenant with David. 
So the kings brought to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What does the king truly want? The king wants your heart. He wants you to become part of this eternal house. So have you done that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus, the, the true forever king? And if you have, have you come to him and found rest? Or are you still scrambling to maybe trying to earn his favor, earn her his approval? Can I tell you, that's not what he's called you to. You don't have to please God in that sense of earning his favor. You honor him by simply obeying what he's called us to do. And as you commit to a life of faith in what he said, then he says, now, just watch this. I'm going to give you my dream. This isn't something that you've come up with. This is something I've come up with, and I'm placing it into your hands. And now, just live according to it. And here's the thing. As we live out that plan, here's how I found if I am resting and following him, then as interruptions come, I trust him. When it's my plan and interruptions come, then I get frustrated and angry. I start attacking people and I start criticizing and I get angry. But when I'm following his plan and resting in him, I can trust him. Because it's not my plan, it's not my responsibility. I've yoked with him and we're pulling together. I follow the king. It's a pretty cool concept. And we can trace this idea back to God's relationship with David when he steps in and says, I'm going to do something powerful. I'm going to do something amazing, both to you, but really it's going to trickle down to everyone who puts their faith and trust in the King of Kings. And that's who we worship today. Pray with me, would you? Lord, it's amazing what you've done in these covenants you've made with people. Lord, it's incredible to think of what you did for us, Lord. We could never match this incredible gift of service that you have offered to us. When you stepped into our world and you humbled yourself to become human and you served humanity for those 33 years and then humanity rejected you and they hung you on a cross, they crucified you. You served us in that place. And when your father raised you from the dead, Lord, to prove that you had conquered even the grave and sin, Lord, you were serving us. You ascended up to the Father after giving us the charge to share this great word to the nations. Lord, now you're there at the Father's right hand serving us, interceding to the Father, providing for us. Lord, we're amazed at how you serve us. So forgive us for thinking that you need us. But Lord, we treasure the fact that you have chosen us. and You've called us into your household. And we want to serve you out of that place of rest. So even as we go into this week of, of Christmas, Lord, I pray that we would, we would enjoy it with that sense of relief and rest. Pressure's off. And we can just love you and watch you work in our lives. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for giving us songs to sing and reasons to rejoice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. 
We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.